Welcome everyone. Uh, very excited to be here at Seed Camp Week um, with a special guest, Tina Baker, partner at Jag Shaw Baker, uh, one of the leading law firms here in the UK, practicing both in the UK and the US. Um, we have some background noise, mostly because there's a lot of activity outside, so hopefully it won't be too distracting, but hopefully we'll be able to get some amazing answers from Tina. Um, with me, we also have um, Tom Wilson from uh, the Seed Camp team. Uh, Tom joined us recently, uh, was it six months ago? Yeah, uh, six months ago, yeah. yeah. Joined in September. Joined in September. You want to share a little bit about your, your background? Yeah, of course. Um, I, you know, I joined from um, one of the leading law firms in London, uh, SJ Berwin, now known as Kingwood Mallisons, where I worked with Seedcamp. From the, they were a client of mine, and then you know was delighted to make the switch over to come in, come on board full time with the team. Um, as Carla said in September, it's been kind of an action-packed six months, um, and you know, loving every minute of it so far. Really enjoying being part of the team. Excellent. Uh, Tom, so, uh, Tina. Yes. One of the interesting facts that everyone, when they find out uh, about you, is always stunned to hear is the fact that you actually had a career in music before you became a, a rock star lawyer. You were literally a rock star before becoming a rock star lawyer. And for those of you that uh, have um, are listening to this on your computers, you can just go to YouTube, presumably, and a few websites and see uh, <coughs> Tina B., Tina B. Dot uh, TV. Dot TV. Is that dot That's TV? my website. Excellent. Uh, do you want to share, how, how did that happen? How did you go from rock star to rock star lawyer? Well, I actually had a law degree before I became a rock star. So I went to law school after university, as most people do, primarily because um, the man I was in love with said I would make a good politician. And so I said, okay, why not? But then I ended up um, joining a band and having a hit record, so I had to quit my job because it wasn't feasible and then got signed to a major label and started, it all sort of snowballed from there. So after about 10 years of that and not having any money to pay for my shoes, I had to get a job. Yeah. So. You love shoes though, right? I love shoes, yeah, and they are expensive. So I went from being a fledgling rock star to working with um, technology companies, and I did a lot of life science IPOs actually in the US in the 90s which was quite an eye-opener but I, f I found that what I enjoyed doing from a legal perspective was working with companies that were trying to solve problems in that case it was trying to cure diseases uh, and I loved the founders and the creative people that were involved in trying to build something and so I think from, for, from that purpose venture capital was actually the right area for me because that's and, and you do hear a lot of rhetoric these days about how founders are now the new rock stars. It's, it's easier to actually build a, a technology company than make a record. And in fact, a lot of my friends from the music business keep calling me up asking me for investment opportunities in startups because they think that's the only way they're ever <laughs> going to make any money. They're certainly not going to make it doing music. And I know some very famous people. So it, 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 is, it is quite true, but I did move to London actually to do an album. I was working with a producer here. And uh, that didn't quite work out. So well, I'm glad it didn't work out, Tina, <laughs> because you know all of us would be the less for it. Um, actually, one of the interesting things that 
we've noticed uh, with founders uh, and also with the success of companies in hiring people is how much, in spite of how technical this industry can be, how much of it is a people business. At the end of the day, it's a people business. That's right. And, you know, in some ways, do you think that your, your sort of background as, a, as, as sort of in the media and, and dealing with, you know, uh, that side of things really helped you develop that, that sort of understanding of the mentality of early stage founders so that you can relate to them and you can understand kind of the, the highs and lows of that? Yeah. So I, I think that's very true. So basically, I was an entrepreneur before I uh, gave up my music career. I had two businesses, owned a recording studio, had a music publishing company, and was an entrepreneur promoting Tina B. So uh, I was uh, definitely much better promoting Jagshaw Baker, I have to say. <laughs> Done a lot better with that than I did with Tina B, although a lot of people would think I was very successful anyway in the music business. I did do a lot of great stuff. I just wasn't able to sustain it. Um, but, but yeah, so I do think it's a personality thing, and I think chemistry is a very important thing for whatever you choose to do in your life. If, if it doesn't fit your personality, what you choose to do, you're not going to really be happy. So I think that if I was sitting at a desk doing commercial leases for a living, I would probably have become a raving alcoholic, and you know, it, it would not have been a fun life. And in, in terms of, like, story, I mean, I don't know how much you can share, but um, I know that you've been involved with some amazing deals over the last five five or so uh, plus years that that uh, definitely within the context of Brown Rudnick and now Jagshaw Baker. Um, is there any ones that you, you, you can comment on that maybe people in the audience might know of? Well, I mean, I, I have a few cl- you know clients that I feel really um, good about being involved. I mean, well, I feel good about most of the clients we're involved with, but... There are a few that that we that I've been involved with pretty much since the beginning in their first funding rounds that I just think are awesome companies and amazing people. Transferwise being one of them, which I met at Seed Camp, and you know, very they're both Christo and Tavit still very close to my heart um, as people, and it, it's it's really great. Uh, and SoundCloud was another one, um, although I don't actually speak to Alex and Eric much anymore. They now have an in-house legal team, and I, I have a feeling TransferWise will move to that soon. <laughs> because uh, I, I do think that the bigger a company gets, the more important it is for those kind of tasks to get um, distributed around. And so the more legal assistance you need, the harder it is for founder to actually focus <coughs> on it. Um, but, but yeah, those, th- those, those are two clients that I, you know, I'm very proud to have. And... Um, yeah, I guess kind of building on that, uh, Tina, it would be really interesting to kind of understand what you think are some of the key legal issues you typically see founders fight about internally and, and you know, how they should address how they should address those kind of situations earlier. Well, it's, it's interesting because I personally have not been involved in that many internal fights between founders. Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, I've heard. Yeah. Is that because it's too late by the time you would get involved? <laughs> no. Uh, you know what? I know this is going to sound really weird, but I like people to play nice. And <laughs> maybe I just don't attract those those kind of teams. Um, but I mean... Sh- but but even, yeah. even so, though, it's funny that you say that because there have been some cases where I heard afterwards that there was an issue, but it somehow never got brought to my attention or I got involved. So there, there are definitely issues about what needs to be done when a company is setting up, yeah. right? That yeah. that I've seen plenty of trouble with, but like what? 
allocation of equity. So that's a big one, and maybe that's what you were asking about. That's kind of one of the things okay, which, so yeah. Is that what you meant? Okay. Which we were kind of were kind of alluding to some of the things which we see founders sometimes when they come through seed camp particularly be interested in is understanding kind of reverse vesting and the importance of that right. at the early stage and kind of what if you had many experiences around that yeah. and around people leaving <laughs> yes. early stages yeah we have so there's a couple of things one one that we see a lot which is very frustrating and I, I'm, I'm actually not quite sure how you fix this problem is that people give away shares and then the other people don't do anything. So that's where the reverse vesting would come in. Um, and we would we always counsel people, and some, some of our clients have been smart to do this even before they got involved with an accelerator or took any funding, would be to implement reverse vesting straight away. And a lot of people have taken that advice from us and others have not. Um, but what we also see a lot is people trying to redistribute equity. So... They start a company, there's three founders, they divide it a third, a third, a third, and then one of them isn't really doing as much as they should. Be, they said they were doing, or maybe people don't want them to even be doing it. And then they want to kind of redistribute it right as they're about to do a funding round, and there are tax issues in doing that. So it's not impossible to fix these things, but they're just not that easy. And, you know, we have a couple of clients right now that we're going through these restructurings with, and they're very costly, and they're actually... They co they're costing us money. They're not costing the clients money. <laughs> because at the startup level, there's just a limit on how much you can charge people for certain things when they're pre-funded or, or you know, just have taken in a very little amount. And so I don't know that this is possible. So, you know, sometimes it's better to have the situation with some of the seed camp groups, for instance, where they have nothing. They haven't done anything yet. Yeah. They don't have a company. They haven't done any paperwork, and then they sit down with the lawyer and they figure it all out. It's a lot easier than having someone come to you where they've already set this up, they've done it all wrong, or they've, they've decided that they don't want it that way, they want it this way, and, and, and then it's hours and hours and hours and hours to fix it. So, one, I mean, one of, the things, one of the things that Tina helped a lot in, in, in sort of spearheading uh, was the Seed Summit uh, term sheet initiative, which you guys can download um, a local European jurisdiction term sheet from on seedsummit.org. She helped review those documents, which are mapping the CDC documents in the United States, and she helped um, really create that 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 uh, series of documents that include also um, the advisor uh, agreements and also another document which is called the Founders Collaboration Agreement, uh, which addresses some of these points that Tina was bringing up right now. Tina, do you want to share a little bit more maybe about the ethos behind the Founders sure. Collaboration Agreement? Sure. But two things I want to say is, first of all, if you look at it, 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 it it's not a binding contract. It's an agreement to agree. So it really is more of a, a handshake. And, you know, people live and die on their reputation. And so th th there's a lot of that going on in the startup world that people have to live by their word. So, and, and I do think that most people are honorable. So we, make, we start with that assumption. So that contract is not really an, 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 a binding obligation, but it's meant for people to think about how they want to do things and agree that they will split equity a certain way, they will assign any intellectual property they've created to the company that they set up if they decide to set it up. Um, it's kind of important for people to n discuss these things up front. Um, you know, I know this from my songwriting days. I used to collaborate with people. You sit in a room, and 
then you walk out and the guy goes, you know what, I wrote most of that song. I want 75%. And you say, well, wait, what, 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 what? So um, I, I would always, whenever I went into a songwriting session, I would just sit down with the guy and go, okay, 50-50, no matter what happens here. And, and, if, and if it doesn't work out for us, we'll never do it again. But if you're, if, you, if you're constantly second-guessing afterwards what's happening, you're never going to establish a working relationship. So, so that's kind of what the Founders Collaboration Agreement is about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think kind of building on that, I know that from my time in private practice before I joined Seedcamp, and I don't know if this is the same for you, Tina, but I kind of really enjoyed the clients who it was clear that they'd fought through all of the issues as far as possible before they maybe even start to come to actually engage with lawyers. So really, really be clear about the situation and things like the Founders Collaboration Agreement are really, really powerful documents for that because they right, can just exactly get it down and then you can go to the legal process, yeah. which is more of a kind of like formalization of that. Right. I mean, I'm not sure if that's your experience as well. Or, yeah, no, it yeah. is. It is. And in fact, it was interesting because I had a client of mine send me an email and say, listen, I have this uh, founder agreement. I need to terminate it. Can you help me? So I said, okay, send me the agreement. And it was the founder collaboration oh, really? agreement. Funny. <laughs> and I was like, you want to terminate this? It's not binding. Yeah. Right? It, was, it was a very funny conversation. But... Um, Building on that, though, um, you know, I think it behooves us, and this is one of the things we're also trying to do with the forms we're putting up on the Seed Summit website, is to try to educate people. And I know you're doing this with blogs as well, Carlos, where you're trying to explain things to people so that, because they can't think through the issues like you suggest, Tom, if they don't know what the issues are. Yeah. And, and, and so many times I am absolutely shocked because it seems so obvious and simple to us. But people think if you pay somebody to create something for you, you own it. But that's not the case. So yeah. you have to have a contract because they own it until they've actually signed a piece of paper that says that you own it, even though you paid for it. Now, under employment law in the UK, if someone's your employee, then sure, anything they create as an employee of a company belongs to the company. But in most of the cases we're talking about, there's, no, there's, there's no company. It's right? somebody's garage. Yeah, there's no employee. It's, there's, it, there's no employment relationship created. Um, so there is no assignment of any rights in anything that anybody's created. And this, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It sounds like now we're going to just kind of start plugging seedsummit.org over and over again. But I mean, we've actually got an IP assignment agreement yes. to deal with these kind of issues. Yes. And it is definitely something which is really important for founders to think about where that value sits in the company. Because when you start attracting investment and when you start, you know, going down that route, that's one of the first things investors are going to look for. They're going to look for where the ideas are, how they're legally protected. And it isn't as complicated as it sounds. It's really, really straightforward. And there's documents out there to help you kind of get that all in order, even before kind of like having to go down the route of instructing lawyers. So about instructing lawyers, and because the, both of you are, are lawyers, I, I hopefully you guys won't be offended by this question, but... One of the things that founders generally always kind of struggle with is picking the right lawyer. Who is it they should go with? And, right, and of course, we all know the stories of, hey, I'm going to my local uh, lawyer, a friend of a friend, or my dad's corporate lawyer who's never done any kind of venture law but has done real estate law, and that's close enough, right? Um, but maybe not. Um, what, what recommendations do you guys have regarding finding, and how do you discover that? How do you discover – is there a quick – litmus test to figure out whether or not a lawyer's crap? Well, yes and no. Okay, so here, here's my, this is my speech on picking a lawyer. There's three considerations in this order. 
one. Does the person have the expertise I need to do the job? So based on your example just now, that person would be, by, by the thoughtful person picking a lawyer, would have rejected that real estate lawyer. Okay, so how do you find the person that has the expertise you need? Referrals from other people similarly situated who, are, who have done the work that you're looking to have done pretty much is how I would say that goes. And also doing some web research. I mean, people go on our firm website and they see the ticker of deals we've done. So anyone who's looking to do a venture round can see, well, this firm has done a shitload of them. Okay. So, so there are ways. There, and people have done just research. You look on LinkedIn. You, know, you can tell if someone's actually doing that work. So no one's going to call me to do real estate, thank God. So, okay. <laughs> so that's the first thing, and that's the most important thing. And if you can't answer yes to the question, does this person have the relevant expertise, you move on. So let's say you try to find someone else. So let's say, okay, fine, you've checked that box. The second most important thing in my mind is, can I, once you've identified and spoken to the person or met them, is can I stomach talking to this person? What's the chemistry? That's really it. Do I have chemistry? Is this relationship going to work for me? Do I trust what this person is saying? Am I having trouble understanding them? Is their accent weird? Um, you know, do I think they're an asshole? Are they a bit arrogant? Are they talking about themselves too much? You know, there's all sorts of things. It's all about chemistry in a relationship. So if you get past the, that bit, which is like, okay, this person has done a bunch of stuff that I need. I like them. I think they're you know, I can talk to this person, you know, on a regular basis. Then the third thing is, can I afford it? How much is this going to cost? Now, the problem is, is that a lot of people, especially in startup land, think that the third thing is the most important thing. And they go with the third thing and they fuck themselves. Excuse my French. I don't know. Are you allowed to curse in the podcast? Yeah, you can do whatever you want, Tina. You're <laughs> Tina B. Um, Tina but, B. But seriously, because free, free goes to the bottom of the pile. Okay, free goes to the bottom of the pile, and free from someone who doesn't know what they're doing is going to be as bad as having had paid for it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, so if you have two lawyers who both are highly qualified and you like them both, and one is cheaper than the other, then okay, go with the cheaper one. But you know that that is my view on it. So I've lost a lot of pitches to people who have decided to go with somebody cheaper, and whether or not it worked out for them in the end, some of them actually ended up coming back and had a horrible experience, and some I never heard from again, and I'm sure it was fine. So that's wow, that's are, my th thesis. Those are good. Those are three very solid reasons. Tom, do you have any that you would recommend as well? Yeah, um, I think you know I definitely echo everything Tina's um, said there. I'd say also on the cost point, there is, you know, there's like time is money, right, in, in the legal world. I mean, even if you're not on the clock, even if you've got a fixed fee relationship, getting someone who's experienced at that can reduce the time. It can reduce the friction in the deal. So having an experienced lawyer who's done that type of deal before can be invaluable. And it is worth maybe paying a slight premium for that. Yeah. I definitely recommend that. And also sometimes when there is a fee involved, it pushes it a little bit higher up that email inbox. Also, on the kind of relationship point... A lot higher up. Yeah, a lot higher up, exactly. <laughs> um, on, the, on the relationship point, I think it's, as well as having that chemistry, if you can get a lawyer who is, see, well, definitely comes across as interested in your business and keen to understand the business and understand what's happening within the business, that can be really, really valuable as well because that relationship can then move that favour up the inbox. Because you find lawyers, a lot of people want, a lot of lawyers now want to work with high-growth high startups. They excited by right. it they're interested in the background to it 
And I think maybe founders have got a great opportunity now to leverage off the back of that and maybe kind of like punch a bit above their weight with the kind of lawyers they can instruct. Um, I know from my personal experience, like in my previous role, you know, I worked with a lot of the kind of bigger, big name private equity players and those kind of guys who were probably paying bigger fees. But the kind of client who I always wanted to work with the most was Seedcamp. And that was just purely because I had the biggest interest in that sector. So I would prioritize that. And there is a little bit of that internally. I don't know if you find that, Tina. There is a kind of... Well, lawyers we, find time to work we with clients generally, they want to. Yeah, I mean, we, we generally at Jack Shaw Baker, we don't prioritize clients in that way. We prioritize deals. Yeah. So we're all about doing deals. And yes, I mean, we have clients who we do ongoing corporate work for, and we manage it somehow. I don't know how we do it, but we do. Um, but the deal is the thing. And, you know, when a, when a deal is getting ready to close and a deal is moving... Whoever's on that deal is on that deal, and that's the email they answer that day yeah. at that minute. So it's more about, uh, as far as I'm concerned at this point, all our clients are on an even level in, in that respect. So, and and we, because we're a team, yeah. we move stuff around. So if someone gets bunged up and they're on three deals that are closing at the same time, well, that can't happen. You yeah. know, so we have to move it around. But but yeah. I agree, yeah, so so but that's also because we don't do a lot of this free stuff. So so talking about free stuff, yeah, um, everyone much rather have free stuff than paid stuff, and this is obvious. But whenever you're an early stage founder and you can't afford and completely sold on the fact that you need to have the three criteria that you mentioned, right. effectively the first two that you mentioned, what other forms of compensation exist for? firms at the early stages and I, I know that you've heard some of your competitors doing different things like at least just maybe map out not necessarily just what you guys do but what other practices do at least what's common or if, if anything maybe even what are the ranges that can be expected for s- certain different stages so that at least people have a, a mental marker of how to start thinking about early stage uh, right. legal legal work yeah okay well um you know there are a couple of things you can do oh i can hold the mic there are a couple of things you can do. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to burp. Um, what <laughs> the first, first you burp. First you burp the baby. Um, you could take equity. Um, a lot of firms don't do that. I think a lot of companies don't want to give equity. It's messy. There's potential conflict of interest there because once you've become a shareholder in a company, your interests may not be 100% aligned. I think that's kind of probably not a huge issue because you're taking so little, uh, you know, at that level. Um, but it's it's very risky for law firms to do that. You have to have a really big cushion to be able to do that. You know, some of the larger firms are, you know, luring in startups by saying, okay, you know, we'll give you this much free work until you're Series A, and then, you know, their hourly rates are 800 pounds an hour, and all of a sudden on the Series A, they're having to pay 100 grand. So... You know, I'm not so sure that totally works either. Um, we're a small firm. We're only 22 people, which is not only, but, you know, we're just 22 people. And we really, in our business model right now, can't just say, okay, well, we're just not going to get paid for anything. So, you know, I don't know if this is the best thing what we do is, but we, we give discounts to startups, but we charge them. So, um, and we have been writing off a fair amount of time working with companies that we think are going to at least generate work in the future. We're, we're, we're investing in a relationship with them. And how do we do that? We do that based on how they got referred to us, which is you know not necessarily an indicator, but you know if they come through Seed Camp, 
they, they have a plus. They're in the seed camp network. They're likely to get funded. Not 100%. I've had a few of the seed camp companies went out of business that we worked with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some of other other companies have gone out of business. If, they, if they've come in through a, you know, another founder who we're working with, if they've done an, a startup before, or, you know, whoever they are. But, so, but, you know, luckily, we, we haven't had to have much trouble with that. So it's... Um, yeah, I guess it's... You know, we're we're offering, I think, a fair price because our cost base is a little bit lower than maybe some of the huge firms who have these ridiculous margins because they've got such great overhead. And I think you touched on something um, during your 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 answer about referrals, and yeah. and one of the things I think maybe doesn't ever get brought up in 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 sort of um, blog posts and other things is how much uh, quality law firms will gravitate towards quality founders. So in some ways, who you work with also says something about the founders as much right. as anything else. Um, right, right. I agree. You agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tom, do you disagree? Again, no, I, I, definitely, I definitely don't disagree. I think, it's, you know, I think it's just another, like maybe another tick in the box. It's another kind of verification, especially if you go to raise a financing round. If it's a team who, you know, a, a founding team, early stage company, but they have, you know, a really well-known law firm, which is very, very much a leader in that industry. Those outside investors, they, you know, they're going to think, yeah, these guys, they, they're serious. They, you know, they, they, they mean things. Um, and I'm not saying that's going to, you know, make the difference between closing around and not closing around. No, but, but it's, it's an indicator, right? I yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Especially with a first time founder, I yeah. think, cause you know, investors don't have a lot to go on with that person. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. As an angelist, you know, I get the requests all the time now for some of the younger companies we're working with to click the box on angelist that you're my lawyer because uh, that means something to somebody, I guess, right? So that's, it's, I think yeah. that's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Cool. Excellent. Tina B., thanks so much for your time. You're uh, welcome. Always a pleasure working with you. And uh, thanks again for all the efforts that you've done for the community via Seed Summit and the time you spend You're with founders. You're welcome, and I think we need to put some more forms up there. We need to put yeah, more forms yeah. up there. We do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely, definitely. More to come. More, more to, come. to come. More to come. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch up next week. <laughs>